make, make sure you have a why, not a what and a how. You know, take the time to understand the, the why your business or the business you're going to join is this. Um, you know, if you're a leader joining an early stage startup, my biggest tip would be make sure that, you know, that, that why and that mission resonates with you personally. Welcome to our series entitled The I Am Podcast, a podcast about innovation, business, and most importantly, people. In this series, we'll be talking to founders, executives, and various experts about their vision, challenges, best practices, and lessons learned throughout their journey. Let's get started. Hello, everyone. How are you guys doing? Today, I'm excited. I'm joined by the president of UK, and now he's leading the European expansion at Docker, Mr. Garrett Shaw. Hello, Garrett. How are you? Hi. I'm well, thank you. How are you? I'm great, and I'm very excited to know you, your journey, your product, everything, the challenges, you know. So welcome first to the I Am Podcast. Thank you for having me. Glad to be here. All right. So let's just get started. Okay. You started at Yahoo six years ago. I did. You did quite a lot there. And now you are leading Bakery, UK and Europe. So please take us to your journey, the leadership journey. Okay. So yeah, it's a little bit more than, uh, than, than six years ago. So I started at Yahoo oh, oh, way back when, probably about 15 years ago. Wow. And back, back when Yahoo was... Uh, before Google owned Search and Yahoo also had a search product. So I worked on Search. Um, I then worked in digital advertising. And I was kind of at Yahoo as digital advertising really started to explode. So I think I worked there for all five years where it was the year of mobile. Now mobile is synonymous with digital, uh, but we saw that one come in. So worked at Yahoo, sold every type of digital media they had, mobile, sponsorships, video, search. Learn a lot of stuff. Um, then I went off to work for Experian. Uh, people might recognize those guys because they do a lot of credit checking, uh, but they're also a massive, massive data company. And I worked for those guys just as merging offline data and online data was a very cool, new, sexy thing. I went and worked at Experian just as that was coming in and learned a lot around merging data from on and offline worlds. Um, I then went back to, to Yahoo. I got um, approached and sort of asked to come back just as programmatic um, marketing was kicking off. So programmatic marketing, for anyone who isn't familiar with that term, is really using um, data and AI and machine learning to, uh, to target advertising in real time. So you and I could be on the same website at more or less the same time, reading the same content. But based on our, our profiles, our interests, our interactions with, with um, the content and what we've seen before, we may see different, different promotional messages. And that's all done in real time. Um, so that, I went back to Yahoo to help, to help them with that. And then I went to a company called PulsePoint, who went through a, a few different iterations. Um, I went over and helped them launch their, uh, their ad exchange, so their programmatic marketing uh, marketplace in Europe. I then ended up running the European team for those guys for about five years and then spent three years running global operations for them, um, based in the UK, but working, working um, primarily with the North American markets on US time. Um, and in that journey, um, Pulse Point uh, pivoted to specialize in servicing um, the healthcare industry. So taking uh, digital marketing and programmatic marketing 
into um, the healthcare vertical. Um, so I learned a lot. Uh, I learned a lot about leadership. Learned a lot about startups and changing before you have to, and and building businesses. Um, and also the the health sector uh, merging what I knew around advertising and technology with with healthcare. Um, Pulse Point was recently acquired by WebMD Medscape, one of the biggest um, medical publishers in the world. So it's a successful exit um, for, for that business. And then my phone rang uh, mm -hmm. just as that exit had been announced. And it was, was my new CEO, Harshit Jay, who told me all about um, DocAir and their global vision and what they were looking to do in terms of you know, successfully launch the platform in the US, successfully launch the platform in India, um, and wanting to come to Europe and, and the rest of the world beyond that. And then uh, the rest has been a bit of a, a bit of a roller coaster. So I'm seven, seven weeks into the role now and really, really enjoying it. So this isn't your first startup, right? Not the first one that you joined. Okay, why did you do uh, not, not the first one. No, second one. But right. I'm, I'm, early, I'm earlier in the startup bit this time. The other one I joined had been going for a few years. <laughs> this one's this one's a lot fresher and a lot lot uh a lot more exciting a lot more exciting <laughs> yeah, so how was yeah. the experience so far gareth um no excellent excellent i mean i the the bit the thing that really that really excites me around startups is that it's you know it, everything everything's so new particularly if you're if you're trying to solve a problem in a, a, a new problem or a different problem in a different way you know, you're, you're blazing trail and you're literally trying to educate a market and build a business as opposed to coming to market with a Me Too style product. So that kind of excitement around, you know, being outside your comfort zone sometimes because no one's done it before, um, you know, coupled with the fact that you're, you're actually building something, you know, you know, a year from now, two years, three years from now, I'll be able to look back at, you know, where, where we started with one employee in Europe, which is me, to hopefully having a thriving, um, you know, a MIA region business as part of a thriving global business and, you know, having real sense of kind of ownership and pride in kind of building that and whether that's building the business, building a team, building process. I kind of love all that. I almost see it as like puzzle pieces. Mm -hmm. Pick finding all the puzzle pieces and slotting them together to make, make the pretty picture or the big tower. Amazing. We're going to look forward to that. Okay. We are all going to look forward to that. Okay. Tell us about Dakra. What problem are you trying to solve? I mean, what gap did you see that you felt, okay, I need to solve this? Cool. So, um, yeah, so Docair's vision is we want to make ph uh, pharmaceutical marketing more effective and efficient. But going deeper within that, we don't just want to you know, get better at putting, pushing adverts in front of doctors. We, we want to use AI, um, real-time technology to kind of, to engage physicians and doctors, you know, with, with clinical messaging that helps them make better informed decisions around how, you know, the best treatments and therapies and drugs to drive better patient outcomes. And if we're able to, to do that, you know, we're not just adding value to a pharmaceutical brand that wants to put messaging in front of a doctor. We're driving value for the doctor. We're driving value for the digital platform the doctor's on, whether it's a website, a medical journal website, whether it's um, 
a telehealth platform, you know, and we're, we're driving value for the patient as well, because, you know, what patient doesn't want to, you know, when they go to the doctor with, with a particular ailment, want the doctor to have the most informed knowledge about the possible treatments that are available to them. Um, so that, that's kind of really our why. And then our, the what and the how is we use, you know, AI, real-time technology to kind of do that. And, you know, we, we were actually founded just before COVID hit. Um, and, you know, the, the, the vision was that, but then with the, the global pandemic coming in and the existing kind of model, the, 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 product, um, the main model in pharmaceutical marketing, it's been, <clears throat> been kind of sales reps who go around and they visit doctors and then, you know, they educate them on the latest therapies and treatments and drugs and give them, you know, leave behinds and um, studies and, you know, share all that information. You know, that, that went away almost overnight with, with lockdown. Um, and before that, digital had almost been a box ticking exercise. You know, the, the marketers knew they needed to do digital, but it was like, hey, let's just do digital. We'll, we'll put money into this digital black box and, you know, we'll keep doing the sales rep thing. And I don't, I don't think sales reps will disappear, but I think how they're used will change. But as the world becomes more digital, as healthcare becomes more digital, driven by a global pandemic, um, you know, doctors, physicians, they have less, they're very busy people. They don't have very much time. They're leaning on technology more and more to help them do their work. Mm-hmm. And as a business, we want to enhance that experience by making sure that the right physician sees the right message at the right time so that they can make that better, more informed decision. And they've got the, they've got the information they need at their fingertips. Um, so yeah, that's, that's what we're kind of doing. We want to, you know, beyond just, you know, the marketing element, we want to better understand what, what behavioral, what behavior drives a physician to, to prescribe a certain, a certain drug versus another one, because in the consumer world, it's pretty easy. You know, if I buy a car because I want that type of car versus another type of car, I made the decision for me, but Mm. in the physician world, they're making the, they're making a decision on someone else's behalf. So, you know, we, we want to get into really get into the data, start understanding that as well. And, you know, it's starting to build better solutions around engagement and measurement and optimization. Okay. So for those who do not know yet and want to know, how does it work? I mean, could you walk us through? Uh, yeah, sure. So uh, I, I'll sort of start with, so programmatic advertising. Um, I'll give you a quick um run through of that and then I'll tell you how we do it with uh with doc care in the um in the physician world so real-time advertising the easiest way to think about that is anyone who's ever been to ebay um you know you go into ebay you find something you like that's in an auction and you bid on it and then you get into a little bidding war and then it's like a whoever's got the highest bid wins so imagine now you're on a website that has adverts as that page loads so in less than probably 100, 100 milliseconds or less, the page will be loading, the ad will be loading. The technology exists now where they, if that ad hasn't been sold by the website themselves, they can push that out to platforms like Docker, where we'll go, ah, well, we know that that website is all around um, the latest cardiology treatments and the reader is a cardiologist. Let's put a relevant cardiology ad in there in, in kind of real time. So it's the melding of sort of real-time technology and data to serve tailored messaging or advertising is, is programmatic advertising. And what Decare does 
is we do that exclusively for physicians in professional physician environments. So what that means is, um, broadly speaking, we have kind of we we segment the world into two. One would be um, we call them endemic websites, but things like medical journals, um, medical information websites, but basically websites where it's only a professional audience. You only ever go there if you're a doctor and you're probably logged in. So they know you're, doc you're a doctor and what your speciality is. And then also we have what we call point of care platforms. So they may be things like um, telehealth platforms, electronic health records. You know, I'm sure it, it, it's pretty similar all over the world. You go and see the doctor, they have, they're sat in front of a computer and as they're talking to you, they're tapping away on the keyboard, writing into your health record. Um, being able to display highly targeted messaging there can be potentially um, incredibly valuable. Uh, and one of the one of the use cases, it, it's kind of unique to the US a little bit, but there's the use case that I find really powerful there is, I think the most of the world knows healthcare in America can be quite expensive sometimes, but a lot of the pharma brands, if some of their um, treatments are quite expensive, they'll issue uh, coupons or copay cards to reduce the cost so the insurance company can cover it and the patient is less out of pocket. Um, lots of, you know, I think 90, 80% of that is left on the table. It isn't used. So it's a big problem with drug adher um, adherence. You know, if you're prescribed something mm. and you don't fulfill your prescription because it's too expensive or you only take half a dose or you don't fulfill your repeat prescription because you can't afford it, you're not going to get better as the doctor intended. But if the doctor can give you a coupon that means that you don't have to spend any of your money. It's covered by your insurance company. You know, that, you know, adherence um, outcome all goes to the roof. So that's a really powerful use case of what we're, we're doing in terms of the electronic health record space in the, in the US. Okay. Who do you offer your products to? Uh, <clears throat> so may, may, uh, we kind of got two, two sort of customers. You think about Docair as in its simplest form, we're a, we're a marketplace. On one side, you have the demand. On one side, you have the supply. So the demand would be uh, pharma brands, the agencies that represent them. And to a lesser extent, any, any kind of company or brand that wants to engage with a physician. And then on the supply side, it will be you know, your medical journals, uh, your telehealth platforms, your electronic health records. So we're trying to you know, provide a service to put the right message in front of the right physician at the right time. On one side and on the supply side, it's we want to give the best, most relevant information in a timely manner to the physician. And we want to do so that enhances the platform they're using. So they see it as a value add to whatever platform it may be, whether it be telehealth or a website. With as opposed to the the you know, advertising sometimes gets a bad rep because there have been some bad actors over the years where it's just hammering adverts at people. To try, you know, if you if you if you throw enough out there, you'll something will stick. Um, we want to be a lot more targeted, so that it's right message, right time. So it's like, oh, this is valuable. Give me more of it. Mm. Okay, you talked about like bad adverts and COVID nineteen. What are the other challenges that you faced, and how did you overcome them? Um, it's a great question. Um. So from my standpoint, um, one, of the, one of the biggest challenges is, is education. So my, my background, as we've sort of been through, you know, I've, I've had a number of jobs at Yahoo and worked in more um, uh, generic ad tech, tech roles before I got into healthcare. And on the consumer, consumer marketing, digital 
is very sophisticated. Um, you know, there's a lots of tools, lots of values. It's really been worked out how, you know, it's constantly improving as the technology gets better, but the common mistakes and pitfalls have kind of happened and everyone's learned how to use it. Um, there's a little more apprehension on the, the healthcare side. And that's both on the demand and the supply side because they haven't, they haven't really needed to do it. You know, they've seen it as, hey, digital's good, but let's get it on our plan as a box ticking exercise. You know, we'll still use reps as our, our main thing, but especially with COVID coming along and the fact mm -hmm. that doctors have less and less time to interact with reps, they digital is becoming bigger, but the, the one of the, get back to your original question, the challenge is around education. So, you know, they're talking about bad, adver bad advertising stories. When programmatic first came out, a lot of the supply sites, a lot of the publishers who had the websites saw it as a backdoor for advertisers to buy their supply cheaper in an unguaranteed fashion. Um, now that kind of did happen a little bit in some instances, but it quickly stopped because advertisers want to pay to engage users. They're not interested in buying the cheapest user. They're interested in buying the best user. And in most cases, they'll pay more to get the best engage, you know, the best audience and the best engagement. And those horror stories still ring true for some of the, the supply side uh, in terms of healthcare. They may have tried programmatic generically back in the day, not made much money, and gone, oh, no, no, it's not for us. Mm -hmm. Whereas now the technology is better. And because we're only doing it for, for healthcare, we understand the value of what we're doing. We're not trying to slot in an advert for a holiday or a car alongside an advert for, you know, a prescription medication where the, the value to the publisher, you know, could be, well, I'll make $5 per thousand views or $7 per thousand views or $1,000 per thousand views. So, you know, they're not losing that, um, that revenue potential. So education is, is, is a massive challenge, I think. But a solvable one because what we're doing works. And Okay, I, your expertise lies, I think, in advertising and high-performing teams, handling, building teams, right? So could you share with us some tips? Like, how do you build a high-performing team? Um. <laughs> it's a it's a cliche, but hire 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 smart people. Um, and I think to to put more more flesh on the bones with that though, for particularly for a for a startup, um, I I was speaking to um, a consultant friend of mine. I probably in the last last few years, and he hit me with a uh, with a I can't remember whose quote it was, but he was saying as a manager or a leader, it's not your job to motivate people. And I was like, yes, it is. Like, you know, if I'm not, if I'm not inspiring or motivating, what am I doing? And he said, no, no, your, your role as a leader or a manager, well, as a leader, that's not kind of muddy the water by using leader and manager in the same thing because I think they are different. So your role as a leader is to find people who are already motivated and then it's inspire them and provide them the environment to be successful. So one of the, the things I've learned over the years is, you know, be very clear as a leader on like, what is, what is your vision? You know, what's, you know, the, the Simon Circle, gold, Simon Saint Golden Circle, you know, everyone has a, um, a what we do. Everyone has a how we do it. 
but not everyone has the why. So be very clear on your why and understand that and drive clarity of vision across across your business. Whether you're a huge business or a startup, it's easier when you're a startup because it's easier to get consensus. But have that kind of, this is what, this is why we exist. This is how we're going to change the world. And if you can then articulate that when you're talking to people that you're bringing into your business, who you're looking to, you know, help, you know, you really want them to come in and help you turn it into something massive. You know, they understand that. And look for the people when you say that vision, they kind of lean in and they're like, oh, that's really interesting. That's exciting. And you can see that, that spark and motivation to learn. And then ask questions like, you know, you know, how do you, one of my favorite interview questions is like, how do you learn? And it, I'm not looking for, there's like a million different answers, but I'm just looking for someone who's like, oh, like this or like that. Or, and I might follow it with a question of like, what are you looking to improve on right now? Whether it's professional or outside of work, you know, are you having golf or tennis lessons? You know, but people are always looking to learn, grow, improve and build things. And if you, particularly in my current role, you know, I'm, I'm employee number one. I'm actively interviewing for employee number two, two, three, and possibly a couple more. And, you know, and I'll be very open, like, hey, you know, this, this role, you're going to be employee number two. You know, I'm really looking for a partner that can come in, you know, and help me build this business. You know, say it's a, to look after supply, like you'll, you'll be responsible for supply and I'll go and look after the demand and the other elements of the, the business. And I want people who are like, oh, that's great. You know, they lean in and got that excitement. You know, they want to own something. They want to build something. So I'd say particularly in a, in a startup, look for, look for people who are genuinely inspired by your vision and want ownership and want to build something. Because if you can find those people and it's worth the time looking for them, they, don't, they won't come to work for the money. They'll come to work to build the thing. And the money is a pleasant side effect. And, you know, they'll... It'll, that you know that will take care of itself because they'll be good at what they do i love that okay so gareth you said you're employee number one right and you said that it's it's really important to have that clear vision so example we are going to mm -hmm. hire employee number two so you're in a room you have to say what your vision is and you have to give your elevator pitch in like three minutes one minute or two minutes so how are you going to do it oh okay um <clears throat> I think simply put, you know, Docair is the, going to be the first, is the first truly global platform for programmatic decision only um, marketing. We proved that because we exist in the US, but we also exist in India. So no other, no other uh, company has taken a, an offering out of the US. And US regulatory is very, very different. So we've already proven the model works internationally. And our, our vision and our why is around driving, you know, engaging physicians with timely clinical messaging to drive better patient outcomes. And if that's something you want to be involved in, you know, I, I can spend as long as you've got I'm talking about the, the what and the how, but, you know, that's what I, that's how I, I, I articulate it. You know, that we're, we're a proven technology, we've proven our use case. And, you know, we want to we want to make the world a better place for doctors, patients and everyone that wants to interact with a doctor. All right. OK, so you said a while ago, as a leader, you have to choose motivated people, right? You're not a screen them, but OK, choose motivated people. So are there non-performers in a high performing team and how do you handle them? Uh, 
Yeah, I mean, you know, you'll you can't, you won't, you won't be in a leadership role very long before you encounter someone who's not, who's not performing. Now, there's there's probably kind of multiple reasons for why that be, might be. The person may, they may, they may think they're doing a great job, and it could just be a lack of clarity around, um, you know, what what success looks like. The person may not be motivated. Um, so I think as a manager, you have sorry, as a leader, you have a responsibility to, to all the all your staff and everyone that's um, working for you to kind of invest that time in making sure they understand the vision and understand what success looks like them for, for them. And I I love like tools and management hacks. And I love nerding out around all the little process things like that. And one one sort of management or tool hack I've discovered is job scorecards. A job scorecard is similar to a job description in terms of it says what your title will be and kind of what you'll be doing day to day. But rather than just being a list of responsibilities and things like that, it covers that stuff really quickly. It says what your mission is. And then it says what you're responsible for delivering. So, you know, say it's um, a supply role. You know, you'll be responsible for building a pipeline, for closing deals, negotiating, etc. So that then gives that person, you know, you grade it. So if you're, you know, if you're hit this metric, you're green. If you hit this metric, you're super green, yellow, red, and so forth. So you're kind of giving them as they come into the role, this is what success looks like. And, you know, if you do anything, make this scoreboard super green. And anything you can do outside of that is a bonus. But this is where we kind of need to get to. And that's all wired into um, you know, the vision, everything pyramids up into the vision and the 10-year, five-year goal for the business and things like that. So make sure that the person understands what success looks like because it may be that they don't. And if they don't and they think they're doing a great job, that's your fault for not telling them what the expectation was. So set your stall out early and have clarity. I'm a big believer in, in radical candor as well. So establish that kind of radical, I don't know, is it, I can't remember the lady who wrote the book, but it's a great book, Radical Candor. And the concept of radical candor with care. So if someone's not doing a great job, tell them, you know, or any kind of feedback, give it to them in a constructive way and do it with care and say, look, I'm going to tell you something. It may be difficult to hear, but it's coming from a good place. I want you to get better. And I always find if, you know, as a leader as well, encourage them to do the same back. Say, look, I, I want feedback from you. So I'm going to give you constructive feedback anytime I see an opportunity where I think you can be better. I want you to do the same to me, you know, and that can potentially make it feel less like a manager talking down and more like a collaborator. Let's be better together. So set your stall out, um, encourage radical candor. And then, you know, if they're, if they're motivated and they want to succeed, you know, put them in the environment where they can and support them. Um, What's the, um, the old adage? It's like, wants it, gets it, has the capacity. So if you can work out, well, yeah, they want it. They want to be here. They, they, they believe in the vision. They get it. They understand it. And they have the capacity for that role. It, you know, it's off to the races. Now, if one of those things, you know, if they don't, they don't want it, that's cool. We can still be friends, but you should probably work somewhere else. You know, and I'll help. I'll give you a reference. You know, I'll, I'll help you with that. But if you don't want to be here, no one's forcing you. And, you know, the reality is, particularly for me, based in Europe, I'm, I'm in the Western world, like, you know, it's no one needs to go and do a job that makes someone happy. Um, you know, and if 
they, they if they don't get it you know again like hey like if you really don't understand the why and how we're doing it again you know there will be you know every, i don't think there's such a thing as an unmotivated person mm-hmm. i think everyone is motivated at something that you know everyone has something that will motivate them it's just fine connecting those dots so if they're not motivated they don't want it or get it help them find someone else and if it's a capacity issue um you know have you promoted them into a role they don't want to do the classic example would be making your best salesperson the um the sales director or the sales manager so you're not an individual contributor anymore you now manage this team some of them love it and go on to be great some of it, some of them find it a really hard transition so again like you know make sure you're playing to play into the individual strengths and if you've moved them into a role because they were good at something else under the assumption they'd be good and they're not and you have the opportunity to put them back you know move them back and things and i think with a startup as well you have that kind of flexibility to, to kind of do stuff but yeah mate, if, if they want to be here and they want to succeed give them the tools and if they don't help them find something else amazing so wow that's gold radical candor we should all check that out Okay. Yeah, great book. As a, time really flies, but okay, as a president leading the UK and European market, how do you plan to establish your product? Um, so, you know, in a short round as possible, I really want to establish some, strate- some strategic partnerships with companies on both the demand and the supply side that can understand and share you know, our why, you know, why are we here? We want to make healthcare more efficient. We want to put the right information in front of the right physician at the right time. You know, we're not in the business of just executing advertising briefs. So find people that want to build a better mousetrap, whether they're uh, medical publishers, whether they're agencies, brands, but find those, those partners and build strong relationships with them. You know, so they become our kind of, um, our early adopters and then that gets us to the tipping point where we can get the the kind of the the rest of the market that's more in that kind of me too mode but yeah finding finding the the, the right partners with it and, and then they're out there they're definitely out there that kind of see our the same vision as us and like our approach to doing it as i say we're, we're blazing some new trail in some areas and i think we've got a really powerful kind of what and how so finding the partners that want to take that time and invest and learn and do new things uh, that's what gets us uh, gets us to where we want to be in, in europe and and all the markets we want to open up oh all the best oh and pl- plenty plenty of hard work and a little bit of luck along the way but i find the harder you work the luckier you get so i think they might be intrinsically linked so for entrepreneurs aspiring entrepreneurs and uh, leaders could you give us some tips, best practices? Make, make sure you have a why, not a what and a how. You know, take the time to understand the, the why your business or the business you're going to join exists. Um, you know, if you're a leader joining an early stage startup, my biggest tip would be make sure that, you know, that, that why and that mission resonates with you personally. You know, you don't get to call yourself a leader. You know, you, could, you're a ma- you come in as a manager, your job title you know is, is is manager versus individual contributor only the people that will follow you get to call you a leader so if you're not passionate 
about the mission and the why, you can't fake it. People will see through it. So you can't expect to inspire others if you're not inspired yourself. So if you're going to go into a, a well, a, any job, in my opinion, make sure you believe in what you're doing because that will allow you to inspire others along the way. And then, yeah, like I said before, hire smart people that share that vision and, and build an environment that allows them to be successful. And I think to the point I was making earlier, look for people that lean in and look excited when you're talking around um, growing, learning, building things. What is your passion? I mean, how does it relate to Docker? Why? Um, so, why? <laughs> how did it connect? So my, my passion, I really, I kind of discovered in my, my sort of eight, nine years at my last role, because I, I've kind of been an individual contributor in the bigger companies I'd worked at. I'd always kind of wanted to be a manager, but more as a, oh, that's how you seem, that's how you climb the ladder. Um, but I was a good doer and I seemed to do a lot of doing jobs. And then by luck, in my, when I joined my previous company, um, my MD left within the first year I was there and I kind of got put into interim and did a, an okay job, enough of a job so they didn't get paid made the MD and then the leader, leader of that business, well, the manager of that business and then became the leader of that business over time. And in doing that, I went on a really great journey and I worked with some great, some great leaders and coaches who really sort of helped me um, identify different like, techniques, tools and tips. And I really developed a passion for, you know, building things. Like I say, like I see a very systems driven. So I see the world as like puzzle pieces. There's a, there's a right there's mostly more than one right way, but you can take any kind of collection of things and you can arrange them into an optimal manner. And I love doing that, whether it's, you know, strategic pieces in building a strategic, uh, a strategic plan and executing that plan, whether it's a team of, or, you know, I've got three account managers and they're, you know, where did that, you know, how can I, you know, is one really good at relationships, one's really good at technology, one's really good at um, troubleshooting. You know, how can I, take the best parts of each and cross pollinate things like that, or whether it's, you know, building process, you know, and when I say building process, it's like, what's the minimum amount of process I, I can get away with, to make everything work and be scalable. But I really enjoy that kind of, that building. And I've kind of, again, through look, been through um, a few different jobs in search, performance display, videos, you know, selling sponsorships, working with data, learning about healthcare, being in a startup, programmatic, learning how, you know, being coached to be a better leader. So I've built a not unique skill set, but a skill set that I find quite intriguing. And now for me now, it's well, how can I take the skills and the knowledge I've acquired to do that building thing? And, you know, Docker is in a space, is in two space, you know, foot in both camps of two places I've been. I don't see what they're trying to do. And, you know, you know, when I was younger, you know, pushing adverts in front of people to pay my mortgage was, was great. And as I get a little bit older, I, I kind of want to work for a company that's, you know, got a higher purpose and trying to make them, you know, it, you know, in, in a small way, make the world a, a better place. Um, so, yeah, my passion really is, is, is building things and leveraging the skills and experience that I've, I've acquired over my career to do so. And Doc Air just seemed to be a great fit for 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 what I wanted to do so yeah I'm, <laughs> I'm here and along for the ride this is the I am podcast now we want you to fill this statement okay 
I am Gareth, your blank UK and Europe president. Like, what do you want to be known for as a leader? Uh, it's hard to say. For, I, I want to, I want to be remembered as the guy, the the guy and the leader that was able to deliver clarity around a purpose and align align teams and resource and technology to deliver it. So I, I kind of an, an integrator. Oh, I love that. Integrator, a leader, and someone who provides clarity on purpose. Well, yeah. you're like a coach. <laughs> <laughs> maybe one day. <laughs> maybe one day. Well, we'll see. Okay. Well, thank you and all of the best to Dr. And you, Clay. Thank you very much. This podcast is powered by iamops.io. Optimize your cloud infrastructure and CICD process with iamops.io dedicated DevOps team. Check out www.iamops.io and get a DevOps team now. Make sure to check out www.iamops.io if you want to know more about us. Subscribe to our podcast so you can get notified every time we post a new video. Thank you and you have a great day.